Well, whether we watch motorsport or not, most of us will be aware that uh, racing cars take uh, a mid-race pit stop, either to change tyres or for some mechanical adjustments or repair to the car or for the car to be refuelled. And over the next uh, few weeks, we as a congregation are going to be taking pit stops and we're going to be taking pit stops in the Psalms. And our intention as we study together in this short series is really to take stock, to give thought to our ways and to take the opportunity for us to be refueled, re-energized for the journey. And I think there's no better place to take a pit stop than in these ancient Hebrew worship songs that have put into poetry our deepest emotions. It's amazing the way that uh, the Psalms do this. They just seem to put words to our deep emotions and our feelings. And the Psalms are really honest, aren't they? Very real and uh, written by real people. People who don't hide their emotions at all. And they speak words of joy and pain, laughter, tears, anger, frustration. And sometimes that anger is directed at circumstances. But sometimes the anger is directed at God himself. And in these Psalms we meet people who are wrestling over whether they would ever be able to trust God again after he has let them down, or at least so they believed. And the writers of the Psalm, the Psalms, they pour out their praise and they declare their trust in God. But they also speak of their doubts and their fears and their anxieties and their anger. And of the 150 psalms that were written uh, in our Bibles, they were written over a period of about a thousand years of different eras and stages in Israel's history. And it's very difficult for us when we read to pin down why and when individual psalms were written, uh, with a third of the psalms being uh, anonymous anyway. And what we need to remember this morning is that the psalms are songs, not sermons. We need to remember that they're poetry, not theology. We need to remember that uh, psalms are all about emotion, but not necessarily history. They're often metaphorical rather than literal. And as I said last week, this uh, short series in the psalms, for us as a, as, as a church, is more of a heart thing. It's about getting refueled and refreshed and re-energized for the journey ahead, uh, rather than understanding the finer details of... Um, Old Testament theology or history. And I would say right now, at the beginning of this series, right at the start of the first couple of weeks, is that I doubt very much that you will learn anything new in this series, something that you didn't know before. Um, we're not aim, aiming at that. But this is really about opening our hearts to uh, God, to know refreshing and re-energizing in our lives. We started our series last week with uh, a look at Psalm 23, probably the most well-known and loved psalm in our Bibles. The Lord is my shepherd. And today we're going on to focus on Psalm 46, which declares that God is faithful, come what may, and will protect and provide for his people. But before we dive into uh, this particular psalm and we read it together, just a couple of words uh, on the structure of this psalm. Now, we've been singing some great modern worship songs this morning, and many of the psalms were not unlike the modern worship songs that we have. They have verses, 
and choruses or refrains. And in Psalm 46, there are three verses or stanzas, uh, verse 1 to 3, 4 to 6, and 8 to 10. And then there's a chorus. It also has a chorus or a refrain, which is verse 7, which is also repeated in verse 11. On three occasions, we find the word selah, after verse 3, verse 7, and verse 11. Now, this Hebrew word selah, which means essentially pause, think about this, stop, listen. And I think that's always a good thing to do, don't you, when we come to the scriptures. Okay, that's the end of the boring bit, okay? I just wanted to give some idea of the way that this psalm is structured. But let's walk through this psalm together. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. And I just love this psalm because it starts with God. It doesn't start with the problem or the crisis, it starts with God. Not all the psalms do that. Sometimes the psalms start with the problem or the crisis. For example, Psalm 13. How long, how long Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? But Psalm 46 starts with God. And it starts with God as being our refuge and our strength. A God who promises to be with us in times of trouble. Psalm 121, if you know that psalm, also does much the same as Psalm 46. It starts with a focus on God. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? And then the psalmist in the next verse answers his own question. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And instead of looking up at his, looking at his difficulties and problems, he decides to look up. And I think that that's right there, such a very, very important lesson for us today. Because many people, when they're going through difficult circumstances, what they tend to do is look at the problem itself look at the circumstance that they're encountering, and that's all they can see. They're overwhelmed by this thing. Do you remember Peter? When Peter was walking on the water to Jesus, my Bible says that he was actually doing okay. That was until he decided to avert his gaze from Jesus and to see what was happening with the, with, with the, the waves. Took his eyes off Jesus, started looking at the problem. And I would say it's a great place to start. If you are going through times of uh, difficulty and circumstances are tough at the moment, start filling your minds with who God is, what he has done for us, what he has promised us in the scriptures. And you know, that's why we start our church services in the way that we do on a Sunday morning. That's why we come in and we start praising God. And we tell God how wonderful he is and how magnificent. And we remind ourselves of all of his characteristics and attributes. We don't do it as a bit of a filler before the main act. <laughs> That's assuming you think this is the main act. <laughs> no, we're not doing that at all. We are coming to, because, you know, some of us probably have had a tough old week and we've really gone through the mill. And we are coming into the presence of God and reminding ourselves once again of how wonderful this God is that we worship. So, a better place to start is to look up. Where are we? Verse 2, yes, verse 2. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way, 
and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. Very interesting. You've heard me say probably many times before that whenever you see a therefore in scripture, you ask what it is therefore. That's right. Therefore links what has just been said with what is about to be said. In other words, because God is the kind of God that he is, because God is a refuge for the weary, because God is a strong tower for the weak, and because he promises to be an ever-present help in times of trouble, we will not fear. That's the way that it's linked. The two are connected. What we believe always affects the way that we behave. Think about that. What we believe always affects the way that we behave. And if we have some, for example, some superstitious views about God, and we believe that God is unfaithful or capricious or unreliable or mean, then our faith will be uncertain. We won't know whether God's having an off day or not. On the other hand, if we know God to be faithful and reliable and steadfast and one who is unchanging, the same yesterday, today and forever, that God is absolutely good, that God cannot be anything other than gracious, then we can place our trust in him. We know where we are with him. Or in modern parlance, he doesn't mess with our heads. We read in Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, the words that they that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. I love that verse. The result of knowing God is spiritual strength. The result of knowing God is an empowered life so that we can serve him. Now, the picture that the psalmist paints here is an incredibly poetic. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. And this is a picture of great catastrophe, mountains falling into the heart of the sea, chaos, destruction. Basically, what the psalmist is saying is that God will prove to be true and faithful and loyal and steadfast even when we are going through the major catastrophes of life. And we do not need to fear because he is our refuge. And then we find this word, Selah. Pause for thought. So let's do that then, shall we? Let's just pause for thought. Let's not rush on. Let's take all of this in. Let's think about these words in the context of our own lives this morning, the stuff that's going on. The, the, we, we might feel that all around us is chaos. We might not know which way to turn. We might be tempted to fear the worst. But you see, when we remember to put God into the equation, God changes everything. The whole situation looks very, very different when you decide to put God in it. Changes everything. And then we have this um, second verse or second stanza in the psalm from verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. Now, this is poetic language, and poetic language is never precise. The city of God that's spoken of here in this verse is the city of Jerusalem. But one small problem... 
Jerusalem doesn't have a river running through it. So it's obviously a metaphor. It's pointing us to something else. It's telling us something else here. And the image here of a river is often used in the Old Testament to speak of the continual outpouring of the blessing of God to his people. That Israel's God will sustain his people. And as long as God was with them, they will not fall. And this is what we find in the following verse there, in verse 5. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. Basically, calamity is abounding here. There may be trouble on every front. But then, he lifts his voice. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. In other words, God is in control of all the external circumstances which appear to be threatening us. Do you remember the other story? This time of Jesus being fast asleep in the boat when there was a storm on Lake Galilee. And um, the disciples were fearful, thought that they were going to drown. But Jesus was fast asleep. They woke him up. Don't you care that we're going to drown? And then Jesus just commanded the lake, commanded the sea, quiet, be still. And the words that he actually used were the words of, as if you would speak to just a, a little a little dog, quiet, be still. And then there was quiet and still. And the disciples said, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And we sing a, a great song in this church, and we might even sing it later, it is well. And there's a line in that uh, song which says, the wind and the waves still know his name. I just want to jump and shout yahoo when I... Uh, sing that it really is it, it does something inside because the story that we read there in the gospels of Jesus just telling the, this storm at Lake Galilee be still and it was and he can do the same in our lives and maybe this morning you're experiencing some kind of storm in your life just now maybe illness maybe financial issues maybe relationship problems and that he can still say, be still, because the wind and the waves still know his name. That's the end of verse 2. And then we come to the refrain. In verse 7, the chorus, if you like, of this, uh, of this ancient worship song. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And then those verses are, replaced, uh, are repeated sorry, in verse 11. And I think that the words of so many of our worship songs are taken from the Psalms. I love singing that uh, song. I think it's a Hillsong song. Um, I will bless the Lord forever. That's Hillsong, yes. It's just a wonderful, wonderful song. And I will trust him at all times. He has delivered me from all fear. And he has set my feet upon a rock. I will not be moved. And I'll say of the Lord, you are my shield, my strength, my portion, deliverer, my shelter, strong tower, my very present help in time of need. I, I, I don't know who the writer of that song was and who, whether that writer was actually inspired by reading Psalm 46, but I can well imagine that that is the case. These words seem to be based on Psalm 46. And then we come to the third verse. From verse 8 to 10. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. 
he makes walls cease to the ends of the earth. In other words, what the psalmist is saying there is that the power of the Lord is without question. I hope you're picking this up this morning. You know, we are not just having a little, nice little Bible study and then we'll sort of go home. This affects everything. It affects our lives because when we grasp some of the messages that we find in this psalm, it will affect the way that we view life, view our difficulties and problems. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. I imagine if this was written in our day, we would speak of a God bringing to nothing nuclear submarines, fighter jets and uh, atomic warheads. He is in control. That's what we're being told here. And it brings great comfort, certainly when I think of such men as Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un. You've heard of the Holy Trinity. <laughs> the, the unholy Trinity, wherever they've gone. You see, these men really frighten me at one level. They can bring catastrophe upon our, our world. The snowballing that we see around us of nationalistic fervor in our world today. But this is the important thing. Those men are not in control. He is. Yeah? And I think that we need to take on board these great truths. You see, at this point, the ancient worship song that we are looking at this morning uh, changes. Up to now, the words have been from the worshippers. And they are saying about God, they're speaking about his greatness and about uh, his power. But now in verse 10, we find that it is God that speaks. And God says, Be still. <laughs> And know that I am God. I will be exalted in the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And God says to them and to us, well, actually he commands us to be still and to recognize and to acknowledge his power and that he alone is God and that he alone is the one to be exalted in this earth. And then we have the chorus, the Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. And then we find this word again, Selah. And again, we're encouraged to stop and listen, pause and take thought for a moment. Let us not rush on. This is an important point. And really, this is the main focus of my, my talk this morning. Be still and know that I am God. You see, we love that verse, don't we? Be still and know that I am God. And I'm sure that uh, some of you have got it framed in your homes at some place. I'm sure most of you have it underlined in your Bibles. It's a verse that we love quoting when we uh, pray our prayers. But the big question is not whether we've underlined it in our Bible. The big question is, do we obey it? It's a thought. Be still and know that I am God. Do we obey that? In 2010, millions of Toyota vehicles were recalled. They had a dangerous accelerator problem. I wonder if that sounds familiar. That sometimes our lives are lived at frantic speed. And as it were, we are living with stuck accelerators. As someone once said, why is it the one hormone that we all know the name of is adrenaline? 
you know, I think uh, confession is good for the soul. And um, I'll be honest with you today, and I'll confess to living a very hurried life. That's me. I know what I'm like. And if I have to wait anywhere or if I get delayed, I get anxious because I feel that I'm wasting time. I get fidgety. If I ever plan to go to the dentist or the doctors or to get a tire change on my car, I'll always take reading materials with me. Are you the same, Graham? Yes. <laughs> Maybe it's a pastor thing. You just want to make every minute as effective as I possibly can. You see, I'm anxious about wasting time. In fact, I've been thinking of starting a support group for compulsive hurriers. <laughs> the upside, the meetings won't last very long. <laughs> but you see, hurry is not about a disordered schedule. It's about a disordered heart. And that's why God instructs his people to be still and to know that he is God, to recognize who he is. And it's amazing in the ways that God often um, speaks to us, that God, when he speaks to us, he uses many different accents. Did you know that? When God speaks to me, he normally speaks in a Welsh accent. <laughs> I'm not joking. No, you, I, I can hear some of you laughing. I'm not joking at all. It's not only a Welsh accent, but in a female Welsh accent. <laughs> And it's not only in a female Welsh accent, it's a particular dialect, an accent that originates from Gosainan in South Wales, which is between Swansea and Llanelli. And in case you are not following me or think I've lost my marbles, I'm obviously speaking about my dear wife. You see, she often speaks God's wisdom and God's word to me and sometimes brings words of sanity to me and says things like, you're working too hard, slow down a bit. You need to rest more, which sounds remarkably like what God is saying here to the psalmist. Be still and know that I am God. And you see, I think that we need that selah in our lives, those times to pause and to, to think. Times when we still our hearts and acknowledge his, his godness. I know it's a made-up word. And you won't find godness in any dictionary. But it's the best word I can think of, really, to explain what I'm saying. That we don't acknowledge his godness when we're living in the fast lane, going at 90 miles an hour. But we need to slow down. We need time to ponder and reflect and listen to that voice. Sometimes through godly conversations, sometimes through prayer, sometimes through just opening the scriptures prayerfully. And I don't mean opening, him the, opening the scriptures in a hurried, guilt-driven way of catching 10 minutes at the end of a busy day because we can see our Bibles are gaining dust in the corner of the room. But spending a time with an open heart and an open mind before the scriptures with the anticipation that we have a God who is desiring to communicate to us. That voice can be heard through prayer, through silence, through observing creation and a host of other ways. That God isn't limited to any one form of communication. In fact, you might not know this, that God is an amazingly effective communicator. But we need to be in that place where we have slowed down enough to listen to him. Let me be really, really honest with you. 
I'm a work in progress. You say, well, what's new? We knew that anyway. Yes, of course. Um, and this sermon this morning is probably for me before it is for any of you. But be just, just because I haven't nailed this one yet doesn't mean for a moment that I shouldn't be sharing it with you. you know, so for those of you who are hurry junkies just like me, it isn't always easy to slow down our lives. And besides, some of us enjoy living in the fast lane. We love the exhilaration. We love the adrenaline, adrenaline rush, that feeling of importance. And sometimes we might even wear our busyness as a badge of honor. Yeah. Lord, forgive me. Because there have been many times that I have done that. That I have worn my busyness as a badge of honour. I was in conversation with someone a, a couple of weeks ago and we were both talking about the manic pace of life and she said to me, but you wouldn't have it any other way, would you, Steve? And I, well, my immediate response was probably not. But I, I wasn't sure that that was the correct answer. But that conversation was something that really got me thinking. So going back to the Toyota illustration, that stuck accelerator, that has huge implications for our lives, our physical health, our, our spiritual health, our families. We need to balance, really, giving and receiving in the Christian life. Now, if we're not receiving spiritually, then we will have nothing to give out to others because running the, tam the tank on empty can really have disastrous effects in our lives, lives. Ask any mechanic that. But on the other hand, we don't want to be in a place where all we do is receive. Receive, receive, receive. Get some more. Feed me, feed me, feed me. And never give out. You know, and there are, sadly, you know, over the years, there are Christians, some Christians that I've come across who are... Just like that. It's a matter of feed me. And if you're getting fed all the time and not giving out, what you get is spiritual constipation. You become obese spiritually. Yeah? You see, God hasn't called any of us to be spiritual Ofsted in inspectors, whereby we rate the worship experience, although I think we could rate that quite highly this morning. Or the preaching. Oh, I'm not, answering, not going there. That's not the way that we come and that we are part of church together. That we are participators, that we are fellow members of the family, that we are fellow worshippers together, that we are partners together in the gospel. But there needs to be a balance. We need to receive, but we also need to give out. And the one thing that we notice about Jesus is that he never, ever appears in a hurry. Uh, slow seems to be built into the fabric of the ancient uh, world. And the lack of technology and transportation forced life to be slower. No cars, no planes, no emails, no smartphones. Certainly made it easier to take your time. But we, in the Western world, in the 21st century, we have to be far more intentional, I believe. When I became uh, pastor of this church 26, 26 years ago, uh, the only technology, I might have told you this before, the only technology that we had in the church at the time was one ring dial telephone and uh, a photocopier that did up to 19 copies. 
I don't know. Don't get it. I don't know why it didn't do 20 or 29 or 99. It only did 19 copies at a time. But with the benefits of technology, I probably fit in two or three times as much work in an average week compared to tw 26 years ago. But I know that there are also considerable downsides to that. Uh, a few years ago, uh, Martin, Julie and I, we went to um, uh, travel to Zambia to see the Isabilo project. And uh, we were introduced to a, a word called Muzungu. You know that word, Jackie, don't you? Yes, I'm a Muzungu, aren't I? Yes. <laughs> it's a term that black Africans will use for white Europeans. A Muzungu is a Swahili word. A Muzungu means one who spins around. In other words, if we were to describe this in, the, in, in our culture, we'd be saying, so-so is running around like a headless chicken, yeah? That would be the way that we explain it. But this word muzungu is one that spins around, and that's what black Africans saw in white Europeans. People who just spin around frenetically in a flurry of activity. But you see, constant and continued busyness will, will affect our souls, the real us. In time, we will develop a hurried spirit. And even when our body is still, our mind is racing reminding us of everything that we need to be doing. But these eight words here in uh, Psalm 46, verse 10, 24 letters written some 3,000 years ago, are both an, a great challenge to us, but also an indictment to our modern life. Be still and know that I am God. And we need to remind ourselves that God doesn't say, be busy to prove that you are productive. This verse is all about our connection to God. I think most of us here this morning are very familiar with that great story in Luke chapter 10, the story of Mary and Martha. And um, one is uptight, Martha, and one is up close, Mary. Martha is hurrying up, and Mary is hanging out. And it appears that Jesus didn't give any advance notice of his visit. Luke doesn't tell us in his gospel that Jesus sent an advance email or called ahead on his mobile. His visit probably was quite unnerving to Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. After all, how many of you would fancy the idea of God calling around unannounced for lunch? And not only God but 12 hairy, dusty, grimy Galilean men as well. Just put yourself in their place for a moment. If it had been us, we'd have been scrambling around, putting dirty clothes uh, in, in the basket, tossing plates into the dishwasher, thinking what we could make for refreshments. Martha is the consummate host. She doesn't have anything prepared, but she's going to whip up something to eat. Martha is a true Mzungu spinning around frenetically. And she looks around and she's merry. She isn't helping at all. She's just sitting there, <laughs> sitting there at the feet of Jesus. Martha is pretty ticked off. Uh, Luke doesn't actually use those words, but he could have. Martha would have loved to sit where Mary was sitting. She too would have loved to listen 
to Jesus, but she was frenetically doing all that she could, and she's getting very, very irritated. It's not just, it's not right. I'm in the kitchen, I have to do everything myself. Would you please tell Mary to come and help me? And then we find in verse 42, Jesus replies to Martha, 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 why are you worried and upset over many things? But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better. You see, as I've just said, the, the one verse there doesn't give us a blank check to sit back at ease when everyone else is running around like headless chickens. But that one verse does tell us something very important. Notice that one word which I've underlined there, put in red. It's the word chosen. Mary has chosen what is better. And I think that we need to be intentional in our lives about all sorts of things. Some time ago I was speaking about our need to be more intentional in the way that we evangelize. But we also need to be more intentional about being still, at sitting at the feet of Jesus. And if we don't make a decision for this in our lives, then really it's never going to happen. You know, sadly, some things, other things, will become priority in our lives. And things don't ever slow down. And we don't ever merge from the fast lane into the slow lane, just by accident, where we have time to breathe again. But we really do need to declare war on a hurried lifestyle. And I'm sure that some of you are probably thinking, much as I'm thinking, that seems so unproductive, doesn't it? You know, to be still. Surely we've got to be busy. Surely we've got to be doing. Because that's the way I'm wired. That's the way I was brought up. Seems so unproductive to take a time out to be still in his presence. Can I ask you this morning, when is the last time that you chose to put other things aside to, as it were, sit at the feet of Jesus? I'm not talking about saying your prayers. I'm not talking about reading your Bible notes. Not even talking about coming to church. But time out to sit at the feet of Jesus, spending time with him with an open Bible and an open heart. It's an incredibly, I, I, incredible irony in what I'm saying here. And I, you might have noticed it. You know, you would think that the issue here is whether God, the God who created the universe, has time to sit with us not whether we can squeeze him into our schedules. Our lives are a little bit like a movie. Every scene is moving forward to a final scene. The plot is developing. The final scene is being shaped and determined by earlier scenes. And if we want to get to the same final scene, or kind of final scene that the Apostle Paul got to in his life, and we know about this in his last letter, the last chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 4, where he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me, but not only to me, to all who have longed for his appearing. You see, to finish with glory, to finish with our faith kept intact, having lived a life of obedience and faithfulness, to reach retirement and beyond retirement as a person younger people can look up to. If that is how we desire our final scene to be, 
then we need to develop the plot to get there. What I'm going to say next is something I really want you all to take away with today. I want you to take this away with you. And that is what I am today was shaped by what I did yesterday. Who I become tomorrow will be informed by what I do today. And I am writing a scene now that will influence the final scene. Those are powerful words. I got them from a book by a man called Lance Witt, who was a pastor for many, many years. What I am today was shaped by what I did yesterday. Who I become tomorrow will be informed by what I do today. And I am writing a scene now that will influence the final scene. And that is why it is good for us to give thought to our ways and to take a pit stop as we are doing this month. There are times when many of us just want to take the next hill for Jesus, for his kingdom. But we can't stay on the front line forever and we need that sacred rhythm of life, of advance and retreat, advance and retreat. To be still has two wonderful benefits. The first benefit is replenishing our souls. Last week we looked at those great verses in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes or restores my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. So he promises to replenish us and refresh our inner being, but we need to give him the opportunity to do that by stilling our lives. And secondly, another benefit of being still is that we can recalibrate our perspective. And as we give the Lord time, very often what happens is that he shifts our outlook and he reminds us of what is really, really important in our lives. Something I've experienced, time when you just give God time in your life, you know, you might be running around like a headless chicken or muzungu, but he has this wonderful way that he shows us what is really, really important, not just what is urgent. And we need to remember that the two are not to be confused. So often we live our lives according to the tyranny of the urgent and the important is left to one side. Being still is an opportunity to remove the white noise from our lives just enough to hear his still small voice. Time has gone. I really do need to finish. And uh, let me be very down-to-earth and practical about this. I think that probably most of us here today have access to iPhones and iPads and smartphones and Facebook and emails and Instagram and Twitter and all the, all the like. How would you cope if you were asked to fast from them for a day? I'm not asking for a week, but for a day. Some of you got sweaty palms already, I can see. <laughs> what if I asked you to do a digital detox so that we disconnect <laughs> to reconnect yes I love that poster outside a bar 
we do not have Wi-Fi. Talk to each other, pretend it's 1995. <laughs> I guess that some of us might have cold turkey. Just thinking about it. Technology, let me get, let, get me right here. Technology is a good thing. I'm not some dinosaur who believes that we should still be writing with ink quills. Uh, technology has helped us become more efficient and more productive. Technology can be a great servant, but it can be an absolutely awful master. Let me again own up to some of my own failings. Whenever I visit a hotel or go to a conference, my first concern It's not just me. <laughs> what is the password for the Wi-Fi? Being unconnected for a few hours is really quite unthinkable for me. And the challenge for all of us is how to leverage the benefits of technology without becoming dysfunctional as people, without allowing technology to steal the time that we would otherwise have for Jesus and for other people. And to be really radical, maybe we should consider, uh, consider a technology Sabbath. And my guess is that probably most of us would be fidgety and edgy, edgy and restless, a little bit like someone who is an alcoholic or on drugs coming off their fix. But spiritual discipline to turn off all media for a fast day once a week. What do you think? Okay, once a month. I just want to make it easier for some of you guys. And I'm saying this to do this not as some kind of sponsored project raising money for cancer research or whatever by switching off technology, but doing it just to make more time with Jesus. That's radical, isn't it? What about not answering emails after 7 p.m. at night? What about turning off a mobile phone when you're having dinner with your family? You've gone ever, ever so fidgety. <laughs> you see, we really do need to think seriously about this stuff if we are serious in our relationship with Jesus, that we need time to remove the, the white noise from our lives and concentrate on real flesh and blood friends, not necessarily Facebook friends that we might not recognize if they pass us in the street. Be still and know that I am God. Selah. Stop and listen. Pause. Think about those words. So what's this mean for me today? In which ways can I learn to be still? How can I remove the white noise from my life? How can I take time out to be with God, to hear his voice, to sit at his feet, to allow my heart once again to be filled to overflowing with his love and for my mind to understand his ways? Would you stand with me, please? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a God in whom we can take refuge in times of trouble and hardship. We thank you that you are the one who is far greater than the problem that we face. Help us to look up 
rather than trying to look through the problem. And give us faith, Lord, we pray, that our God is almighty, a refuge, a strong tower into which we can run. And I pray, Lord, also that we might learn stillness, stillness in the, the hustle and bustle of modern life. I pray, Lord, that you will create in our hearts a desire to take time out, to sit at your feet as Mary did, and to get to know you, not just about you, we pray. Amen.